This episode of Control Delete is brought to you by USAA. USAA is passionate about what they do, ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. And as an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. This episode of Control Athlete is brought to you by Toyota and their all-new 2017 Highlander. With its sleek, aggressive design, improved powertrain for better performance and fuel efficiency, plus advanced tech features the whole family will love, there's more to discover in the new 2017 Highlander. Visit toyota.com for details. Ready. Hello, and welcome to Control Alt Delete. The podcast soon to have a market cap greater than Uber. That comes from Ross <laughs> Paul Krabek. That actually, I will say this, emailed to me. I love it when we get emails. That intro was emailed to me by Ross, so thank you very much, Ross. Hi, everybody. I'm Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, Verge executive editor, editor-at-large recode, Walter S. Mossberg. How's it going, Walt? It's going great, Neil. We were off last week. Both of us were sick. And we both it's sick. It's a true thing. I came back from South by while I was sick. So we were off last week. I'm just getting over it. I apologize. My voice is a little... Yeah, well, I have to, have to say the same. I'm not entirely over it, but you know, 90%. So okay. But we're back, and we're going we're gonna to get through this for you, the listener. I got to say, I am super excited about this episode because, Walt, I was really into your column uh, because, as I think the audience knows... I love talking to you about old ideas and how they become new ideas, and you have identified one of the oldest ideas in tech, and you right. point out that it's actually done, and we've got to move on to the next version of it. That's right. So the oldest idea, and one of the oldest ideas in tech that, you're, that I did uh, uh, center the thing around this week is this idea of an information appliance, uh, essentially uh, a really capable computing device that would be... Um, you know, less versatile than a than a PC, but still meet a lot of needs, and most importantly, not require any IT help, any manual reading, any technical knowledge would just be there. It would be an appliance. And um, you know, when I started my tech column in the Wall Street Journal in 1991, I was a champion of this idea for years. I don't mean every column, but, you know, maybe a couple times a year I'd read something about it because Windows, which was the predominant platform then and now on, on computers, was uh, in those days very hard to update. Yeah. They shipped it with a lot of bugs. And it was a big, you know, you were always, always running into hassles. I mean, yeah. depending on the your age, listeners, you may or may not remember, you know, things like the registry's corrupted or that you did, that you're missing a DLL or you know you don't have a driver I mean there's zillions of things in those days and it really kind of annoyed me so I was on the lookout and there were companies who thought they could cash in by uh, making appliances um, the Mac was simpler and more reliable I, I found I thought till Apple started to sort of deteriorate in the 90s and then I think the Mac deteriorated yeah. with it well, there was a moment – I think the definition of the word appliance here is important. There was a moment in the 90s – and I, we have an old column that we're going to pull from here, which is amazing. Uh, I'm, exci- I'm very excited for this episode because these old columns in particular are amazing. But there was a moment in the late 90s, early 2000s when 
internet access had become sort of available, not anything like it is today, but it was out there. And the general purpose Windows computer was so complicated that the idea of breaking off functions of it into things that had a discrete function and didn't need to be updated and weren't complicated and could just do one thing for you that was internet enabled was everywhere. Everyone tried to do it. And that, that is like the first definition, I think, of appliance. But there's a bro- – you know, it's you, the way that you think of a toaster, right? That you pull out the toaster, it makes toast, you put it away, you never think about how it operates. Right. There were a million devices like that in the category of Or maybe a better analogy is a toaster oven because it could do – Three or four, you know, could heat up the frozen pizza as well. Right, and I mean, I, it, it could do a few things. But the the goal here was the you know when you think of the word appliance, it's a fixture in your home that you rely on all the time. And I, I hear people describe things as appliances um, in this field that have that it's a huge stretch of the word, right? Like I have a good friend who builds, you know half million dollar integrated AV systems. And he's like, it's an appliance. They rely on it. I'm like, that's not. No. But but that sense of reliance is the, the simplicity and reliance is the key. Oh, yeah. But you're, no. but you, there's an even broader definition. You were saying the Apple II was put out in appliance. Yeah. We posted one bonus you'll get if you read my column uh, is that uh, Neelai, who edits the columns, as we've talked about, and I agreed that we would put in an old Apple II ad, um, and they didn't, I don't think they used the word appliance in the ad, but they sort of said, you know, this is it. We have invented this thing that you just put on the kitchen table. And, you know, they they kind of, they said, go get your color TV, because you needed to have a color TV to plug in. Yeah. Let me me read the opening paragraph. (laughs) I'll just pull it up. It is, just imagine... (laughs) Just, just yeah. put yourself in the mindset of the person who wrote this copy thinking, this is convincing. Okay. Clear the kitchen table. Bring in the color TV. Plug in your new Apple II. Connect any standard cassette recorder player. And now you're ready for an evening of discovery in the new world of personal computers. They really, they're like, that's it. We're, we've made it so simple and easy that any, people are going to read this and think, by God, I can do that. Well, and it's so, always sort of like everything in life. It's always sort of compared to what? Yeah. You know, I mean, the <laughs> the, the computer that uh, convinced Bill Gates to drop out of Harvard only like three years before, you know, the Altair was, it, it just lit up lights. I mean, yeah. it didn't do anything. Um, and so they, and, and you know, there, there were a couple of other companies that are no longer uh, around or at least no longer in the computer business. Uh, that brought out things that that had a similar pitch, but I mean, you know, in the column, I found, and thanks to Wikipedia, uh, whoever wrote that article, that that the Apple II was described as an appliance. There was a famous computer magazine around at that time, and for quite a while after, called Byte, B-Y-T-E, yeah. and it was actually quite techy, and it said the Apple II quote. This was their review of the Apple II in 1977 may be the first product to fully qualify as the appliance computer, a completed system which is purchased off the retail shelf, taken home, plugged in, and used. I mean, that was an unusual concept back then. Yeah. But but when I talked about information appliance in the 90s and in the early 2000s, I was really talking, and, and others in the industry were talking about what you said before. I mean, you know, something that did 
the core few things, like I did email and web browsing and, you know, one or two other things. And it was just, it was something that didn't require you to know anything. It was not certainly anything for techies or do-it-yourself people or anything. It was something that you just, maybe you gave it to your parents. Maybe you wanted it at home just because it was no headache. Yeah. And that's what an information appliance was So now, but in, those, then, in those days. And then in your column, you're saying, oh, we, we scooted right past this and we haven't really dealt with it, right? I mean, that's what the phone is now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, to me, when, when I went back and read all these old columns and thinking about what people were, and, and there's one of these columns you have there that's a roundup of about, I don't know, a dozen or more of these information appliances, the, the purpose and the goal they were going for was actually achieved in 2007 with the iPhone and then subsequently with Android phones. That is, you had a computer. Uh, people weren't envisioning it to be handheld, I don't think, in those days, but you had a, a powerful, speedy computer that could do a wide variety of things, uh, including the core things you wanted to do with it, and a child could operate it, and it, it was all sealed up. You, there, there wouldn't, you know, you didn't have to know anything. You didn't have to plug, uh, you know, anything into it to make it useful, mm -hmm. except a charger. And yeah, I mean, I think I think smartphones are and tablets, particularly iPads. And uh, there's a reason I make that separation. But um, these things are uh, information appliances. Yeah, and that actually gets to the heart of something that we have talked about on this show endlessly, 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 uh, which is tablets and laptops and computers and the space in between and how they might diverge and converge. And it, it, as I was reading the column yesterday and as I'm talking to you now, it occurs to me that recasting these devices as appliances actually opens up a huge space for computers, right? Because if the goal of the appliance is to bite off some function from the computer and make it simpler and easier to use – then the big general purpose computer that is, you know, that enthusiasts can monkey with, that actually, that's still a market that exists. Oh, sure. It's a smaller market than was once forecast. I think uh, our friend Steven Sanofsky put up some numbers that in... Oh, yeah, about the iPad sales. We should talk about... There's, there's well, he talked an, about iPad sales, but he was arguing with somebody, well, I think Tom Warren from our staff or somebody from our staff, that um, who was noting the decline in iPad sales, and Sanofsky came back and said, well, you know, in 2007, PC sales were forecast to be like 450 million this year, and they're only going to be 269 million. So it, it's, it's not as big as a market as I think people would have thought it would have been in, you know, b before the, the whole smartphone revolution was able to kind of bloom. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a big market, and and yeah, that it the, clearly if the appliance piece of it, the ease of use piece of it, isn't as important to you, and the you know I want to do some edge case, or I want to tinker with it, or I or I or I want more just more horsepower or something, although I think the gap there is closing. Um, then the general pur I, I I've never I've never said the general purpose computer. Yeah. Should go away. It's I just, just interesting to be better. because you and I have talked so much about you know I, you're the last episode of the show I think it was or the one just before it where you're like we got to contend with the fact that the smartphone is now the personal computer. Yeah, well, right? it and, is. And, I said that again actually in this column in passing. Right, yeah, it, it is. But 
if we recast those as information appliances, and this is really, this is some really nerdy, wonky, in the weeds, semantic stuff I'm getting into here, but it's interesting. Um, if you recast that and say, okay, everyone's general purpose computer is not actually their primary computer or their personal computer, then all of a sudden, all the space in the middle emerges and the path forward for the phone and the tablet and whatever other appliance you might think of becomes comes more into focus too. And that's sort of the second part of your column where you're like, okay, where does the information appliance go next? Right. And where I think it goes next and is what, what literally every company, every major company I can think of, and as I said, probably many, you know, researchers and unknown companies are working on, which is, you know, the Starship Enterprise computer, yeah. the, the thing that, you know, just you can talk to it and it'll just it'll not only know what you – you can not only ask it questions, but it will perform tasks for you in a much more seamless, almost human way, but with a much more capabilities than a, than a person might have. Or different capabilities. And, you know, that's a way of describing AI, machine learning, all the things that are, you know, have become priority number one at Google, one of the top priorities at Amazon, you know, Facebook, Apple, everybody's working on it. And that's the next information appliance. And I think in 10 years, that's going to make what we have now look like that Apple II looks like to us today. Yeah. And people will already be thinking about the next information appliance. I mean, in a way, the information appliance is a useful goal, I think, for everybody to shoot for. And um, I have to admit, it didn't really sink into me until because because really, I crusaded for this. I used the Wall Street Journal platform to crusade for this in the '90s, and it didn't actually. I mean, as much as I've written about smartphones. Uh, and 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 tablets. It did not occur to me till I was constructing this column that hey, you know, it's we have it. That's why I don't bitch as much about <laughs> stuff. <laughs> That's why the fire's out. You got to no, find a new the one. The fire, fire. I mean, I, we, <laughs> what do we bitch about? We bitch about. We bitch about. Oh my God! They're putting some crappy icon into Facebook Messenger yeah, yeah. for stories. That's too prominent and. It's going to, you know, and we had, there was a, we ran a piece today about, well, what if people put stories in all kinds of crazy places? And that's the kind of thing we bitch about. But the fact is that people don't remember that they had to bitch about their damn digital, main digital device just not working. Or they had to spend money to go hire someone to get it to work. Or, yeah. you know, companies had to have gigantic you know, companies still have IT staffs, but they're not sort of fixing the things all the time now. They're, they're very worried about security and asset control and all those things and, and, and sort of pushing forward the, whatever products or platforms they have internally. But they're not actually going around doing a lot of basic fixing of the damn thing. Yeah. I, to me, what is interesting is you, is you lay that out is the phone, right, is a general purpose computer – but when you use it, it becomes a single-purpose appliance because you open the app and it turns into another thing. And I, yeah. that idea has been laid out by I'm I'm stealing that from hundreds and hundreds of people who've laid that out in the past. But sure. right, but that's why it ate the point-and-shoot camera. Right, you push the button, it turns into a camera. You push the button, it turns into a music player. You push the button, it turns into an alarm clock. But the experience of those things 
is single purpose in the way that the classic information appliance was single purpose. You buy the piece of hardware and it spits out, you know, and this, these things have been made, it spits out headlines on a small display in your kitchen. Well, you can just do that with a phone by pushing an icon and your phone turns into that appliance. So it's actually yeah. an interesting kind of middle ground between the general purpose computer and the, the pure dedicated hardware appliance. You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I'll just, I'll just cite, and, and this is, you can find this in 10 nanoseconds, uh, on the web because it's so famous. But, I mean, you know, the Steve Jobs presentation of the iPhone, unveiling of the iPhone, yeah. was he kept stressing it. I think he repeated it three or four times. Three things it was going to be, right? It was going to be the best iPod they ever made. So mm -hmm. that's your music player. It was going to be an internet terminal. And I think he the made... Breakthrough it, internet communicator. That's what he said. Communicator with a with a browser. He, he later in the presentation said, this is a real browser, not a toy browser like on uh, the other phones that were around at the time. And... Um, a phone. Was, and a phone. <laughs> and a phone. We've yeah. forgotten the third one. <laughs> well, no one that's because we don't use it that much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but and it was important in 2007. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, those... And, and, you know, he was... he In his usual kind of mischievous way i mean he said and it's not three devices it's one device you know it's it's a widescreen iphone which people had uh, ipod which people had wanted and it's this other stuff you know mm -hmm. so yeah you're right i mean he he highlighted three things now even even the original iphone which did not have third-party apps for a year uh even the original iphone could do more than those three things but um, but that's what he highlighted. Yeah. This episode of Control Walt Delete is also brought to you by Vivint Smart Home. Not long ago, the term smart home simply meant a remote controlled home. But now there's a company that's worthy of the intelligence that the title smart home implies Vivint Smart Home. As the number one smart home provider in the United States, Vivint Smart Home is already used by more than a million customers and counting. With all the smart cameras you'll need from indoor, doorbell, and outdoor wireless security cameras to smart thermostats, locks, and voice-controlled Amazon Echo, you won't believe how many unexpected conveniences Vivint offers. Whether you're traveling or in the middle of a busy day, you can easily adjust your thermostat, lock, and unlock your doors, check the live feed of your cameras, all right from your phone on Vivint's 4.5-star rated app. Best of all, you get award-winning, around-the-clock professional security monitoring, which may help you qualify for a 15 to 20% discount on your homeowner's insurance premiums. And with Vivint's free customized smart home consultations and free professional installation, getting a smart home is simple and easy. With all the benefits that the Vivint smart home and security system offers, it's no wonder they are the number one smart home services provider in the United States. Go to vivint.com walt to learn more. That's V-I-V-I-N-T dot com slash walt. So I have this column from uh, September 1999, and you, this was actually not a column, right? You said it was it was the beginning of a magazine piece or a magazine issue. Yeah, or the the Wall Street Journal was a supplement, like a special section in the journal, uh, special report. So it was the cover story. Um, but so it has a headline. I love reading your old headlines. They're amazing. I did not write that. I know. I know. That's why I love reading them because now you do write your headlines and I, do, I know yes. that you would have never written these. <laughs> uh, so the headline of this is amazing. Mossberg's Manifesto. You don't need a personal computer. Uh, and this is, again, September 1999. So you've got this line here where you set up kind of an, uh, an overview, a survey of all the information appliances that were available in 1999. And you lay it out. This is just what we've been talking about. This is Walt in 1999. 
A good analogy is your kitchen. In it, you have seven or eight appliances, a dishwasher, refrigerator, telephone, etc., each designed for its own task. If somebody tried to sell you a combination dishwasher, telephone, refrigerator, you would reject it, knowing it wouldn't do any of those functions very well. But that's what a PC is. A kludgy, multi-purpose <laughs> box. The inflow appliance category will get bigger and bigger in the next few years because many companies are secretly working on these gizmos. So it's interesting, right? That was the prediction, what is it, 17, 18 years ago, that we're actually going to be surrounded by more and more dedicated devices. Yeah. And that appeared to be happening. You've got, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to read some of the ones that you had here. But what actually happened was a convergence into the phone. Did you see that coming, or was that just no, another? No, no, but but some of these things in my list, at least one of them is a phone. Yeah, or a couple of them have phone functions. So yeah, I wouldn't have been shocked if you told me it was going to be a phone. But I I couldn't have visualized what I couldn't have visualized was multi touch and you know the ability to devote the entire screen because I think people when they think back on it would would realize that the huge. The thing that made the iPhone and the Android smartphones really able to function as computers and do multi multiple things was that they they had a, a at the time a gigantic screen. They love some of them literally have gigantic screens now, and but it didn't have to be taken up by um, a physical keyboard cutting off most yeah. of it. And so multi touch enabled them to have this big screen in color. I mean, lots of colors, not <laughs> not 50, the, the Apple II ad, which you'll see if you go to the column and you read it. It's fun to read. Um, it says brags about fifteen colors. Yeah, you know the iPhone had more than fifteen colors. But the point is, so I no, I would not have been shocked. And you know, I said next few years, most of these things you're going to note or that I wrote about in this roundup, you know, failed. Not, not all of them failed, but they. The few of them that didn't fail, you know, burned out after a little after a certain number of years. And then, if you stretch the definition of a few years to eight years, then we get to the iPhone. Yeah. So let me. I, I'm just going to read some of these off to you. Uh, I'm going to save the best one for last. I think you know which one that okay. is. And then I want to talk about the stuff that came out this week because you know Apple put out a new tablet this week, uh, and I want to I want to know where you think that fits in. But let me read these first from 1999. My favorite because I had one. And people who've been listening to the Vergecast and, and Gadget Podcast know that I was a child. I had a troubled relationship with this device. Uh, was Web TV? Yeah. And I think anybody listening to this show knows that I think computers that plug into your TV are flawed <laughs> conceptually. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, but Web TV came out. Here's Walt's line: A Web TV box, a brilliant piece of decem- deceptively simple technology. It looks like a little VCR cable TV box. Hooks up the same way, except that you must pl- plug it into a phone jack. That thing. I think AOL or MSN bought it in the end. Microsoft bought it, right? Um, right. And it turned into you know MSN network. It was a whole thing, and then it sort of all just folded in on itself. But this was the classic sort of appliance, right? You're going to buy this box, you're going to plug it into your TV, and it's going to put email on your TV. It was the the Apple II, the first Apple II ad. Same idea, right? You're going to put your TV on your kitchen counter. This is you're going to take a box and take it to your TV. Did you did you ever use this thing? I had one. Oh no, I I had one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I didn't. I had computers, and I that so the web TV wasn't the principal way I surfed the web, but I had one. Yeah, and now, and if you because I think it was ninety nine dollars or yeah, the cheapest one was ninety nine bucks. Yeah, and if you if you just spin it forward, you see that 
the web TV turned into all of the things that we have today, right? The yeah. Roku, the Apple TV, they're all little com- – Android TV in particular is a little computer with a web browser. It sits yeah. on your TV. Absolutely right. So that, yeah. has, that has flashed forward into what kind of information – And that was invented – I, I could be wrong, but I want to say maybe Andy Rubin worked there for a little while. Oh, maybe. The guy that invented Android. Yeah. Uh, maybe not. The principal uh, guy behind it was a guy named Steve Perlman. Oh, who'd yeah. Co- who had come from Apple and who I think had helped invent QuickTime. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the web TV story, if you are a huge nerd, diving into the twists and turns of what happened to that company is fascinating. Then you have uh, iOpener, <laughs> which is a great <laughs> name, <laughs> i-opener. So just, yeah. just slip streaming back uh, on the back of Apple's marketing. Uh, Waltz Line, a Texas company, Netpliance, so just great names all across the board, <laughs> plans next month throughout the iOpener, a sleek info appliance that delivers with web and email. The machine consists of little more than a color laptop type screen with a small keyboard modified as a built-in mouse. The processor and chips are behind the screen. It comes in purple, green, yellow, silver, black, and gray. Um, I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, so, I mean, this is like a little iMac clone, right? Right. Um, you pay as little as... Is one ninety nine or as much as three ninety nine, depending on how long you're willing to commit to the monthly service fee, and all it does is web and email. And you look at that and you're like, oh, that has flashed forward into our modern sort of tablets with little keyboards. Yep. Right. I mean, that's what that is. It's Although just, tablets do more than web and email, but yeah. Right. And then you've got here something called the Mail Station. If you don't care about the web, but you just want email at a low price, consider the Mail Station a ninety nine dollar tablet. That is dedicated to nothing but plain text email. It comes pre-configured as a keyboard with screens and a, a monochrome screen. The email service, all you got for this money was email, $99 a year <laughs> to exchange emails of up to 1,000 <laughs> words in length. <laughs> the e-machine can store several hundred emails. <laughs> Just crazy. Yeah, but that was a lot then. It was, it was a lot 1999. Then. Uh, and then another company, SBC, which you describe as the San Antonio-based regional phone company, which, which is now AT&T. AT&T. <laughs> right. Sells its own version of the Sidco mail station, uh, but available only in California, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, and Arkansas. <laughs> it's like, so, this is crazy. <laughs> somebody in one of those states is still using it, I think. <laughs> yeah. SBC is collecting its $99 <laughs> a year. <laughs> and someone's like, man, I wish I could send an email longer than a thousand words. <laughs> That's, I get, I get. <laughs> yeah, but look, if yeah. I said to you, if I said to you in 1999, there one of these things limited you to 140 characters. Yeah, you'd laugh at it, but you you were doing that today. It's so true. was I. Then you've got the email post box. Great names, I have to say. In in 1999, from VTech. Uh, VTech, by the way, burned bright as the primary sellers of cordless phones for a hot minute. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And now they're all, I don't even, I think they make toys now. But they were, they were, they were an actual company. Yeah. No, I, th- I think they make a bunch of like kids' toys now. Yeah. Um, probably, that are probably susceptible to all kinds of internet attacks. <laughs> it's just one of those <laughs> things, man. Uh, an email machine is somewhat similar to the mail station. The email post box, $100 a month. Monthly fee, expect to be less than $10. A smaller version called the email express. So these devices just did email. And you again, you, you, you just spin the wheel forward. And what you end up is, this is just the email app on your phone. Well, there's kind of another email device that I'm mentioning in here, but you'll get to that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Here's email my favorite. Only, yeah. Well, you you and then you mention, of course, my favorite, the industry breakthrough product, the HP Jornada H20. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Walt burns it here. 
the Jornada was one of those pocket PCs. The Jornada A20 is too much like a PC to be a truly simple appliance. It runs on Windows CE, Microsoft's oh flawed God. attempt Windows at an CE. operating system for appliances. It costs $700. Uh, it forces you to set up your own internet account and fill in, fill in a bunch of techie info. Uh, but if you want a machine that's only slightly simpler than a PC, <laughs> this is a serviceable email yeah. machine. And then you mentioned the, the Palm 7, which is actually great. Which I loved, yeah. Um, but then you've got one here, and I think it's amazing. It's called – it's a great name. It's called the iPhone 2050. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to read the whole thing. If you want – and this is not from Apple. It's not the Cisco iPhone that Apple fought with uh, for trademarks in the iPhone. This is 1999. Yeah, and until – can I just say, until I dug this column up in researching you know, the comp for the column we published today, I had forgotten – I ever mentioned this thing? I think the whole world. I think the people who worked at Big mm. Planet Communications <laughs> have probably forgotten this thing. Um, but read the, it. The ahead. iPhone 2050 is from a company called Infogear. It's a $400 two-line phone with a built-in answering machine, <laughs> which is amazing, a small monochrome ski- screen and keyboard that can browse the web and exchange email. With a built-in internet access service that costs between $15 and $25 a month, you can be on the internet on one phone line while talking to somebody on the other because it had two phone jacks. Yeah. Uh, but you can buy an older one for $300. It's like two SIM cards. But yeah. only, I mean, this thing is bonkers. But it was literally, they thought that they could just add a computer to your desktop phone, your landline well, phone. Well, people were you know, thinking, well, what? It's like web TV said, okay, everybody watches TV. We'll put the web there. These guys said, well, everybody uses a landline phone, yeah. which was true. So we'll put a screen and the web and email. Because remember, it did web browsing. Web browsing allowed you to do a lot of things. Yeah. Um, this is kind of so- where we are now, right? Everyone's like, you like your toaster. We're going to put a bunch of sensors and a Wi-Fi chip and in, in your toaster. And in 2007, Steve Jobs was saying, you like your iPod. I'm going to put the internet and a phone in it. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, that was one way of looking at at his pitch. But what amazes me about this is it spells it, iPhone, with a small i. Don't forget the 2050. That makes it sound like an episode of Knight Rider. You you tell me, lapsed patent lawyer, um, (laughs) would that have kept it out of the legal wrangling of the day? Oh, no, not at all. But I well, think that the product was well and gone by you know seven years later. So oh, I see. I don't know if they had had a trademark or if the company still existed. If you know, who knows? But you know, the the standard for that is likelihood of confusion. So if even if they had some mark, they would have had to go and prove that people who saw the Apple iPhone were likely to be confused that what they were actually getting was a landline phone with an answering machine and a monochrome keyboard. And I, that's a pretty, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's worth it. Like, I think you just take your check for a couple thousand dollars from Apple and just walk away happy. Now, read the last graph, last paragraph. The last paragraph of this column. Because I mentioned a kind of obscure thing. Yeah. There. This is the last one. It's in, a col- it's in a section called Cell Phones and Pagers. One particularly good one is a pager with a teeny tiny keyboard called BlackBerry sold by a Canadian firm <laughs> called Research in Motion. It has been a hit with corporate email fanatics and will soon be offered in a version that works with internet email. This new version will be sold through internet service providers. They really, if you roll that forward, and they just don't exist anymore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> they had a whole arc happened in the past 18 years. Yeah. Uh, 
but that was they were the classic appliance in yeah. in that specific way, right? They offered right. messaging to people uh, in their wireless service, and the appliance was really, really valuable to people until it got rolled up into another device. Well, until they had to try to compete with the with the smartphones. I mean, I think they had phone calling before the iPhone came out, but I I just I have this distinct memory that the first BlackBerry that had phone calling, the way they implemented the phone call was you basically wrote a message, like an email, but you put a phone number in, and then it would make a phone call. But you had to go through the form, the steps yeah. of doing an email, because that was all. In, that was the whole modus operandi of the device. It was like, oh, you want to talk to somebody? Okay, well, we'll send this email that actually connects a phone call I mean, <laughs> that was no that's yeah you know and they and and one way to look at their problems is that they never they were so locked into the enterprise and email that it, you know they did add you know phone capabilities including eventually a real dialer and everything and apps and photos and a camera and all that but they didn't quite it wasn't in their dna it just wasn't in their DNA. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's something else there, which is they were built for a specialized network. And their, whole, their DNA was around the specialized network and minimizing the traffic on their specialized network. And I think that even as the iPhone began to take off and the Internet, you know, spun up next to it and the, the idea of the, the big general purpose network uh, just being everywhere – they were still going to carriers and saying, "We're going to use less traffic on your network. We're going to be yeah. We're going to compress everything. We're going to we're going to compress. We they we really care about battery life and what Apple is built. And you have to buy our server. You yeah, know, and that's and that that end to end proprietary solution is going to be better for your network and better for customers. And that's a it's not a not compelling pitch. It's just the overwhelming value of the big general purpose network was way higher. So you accepted the trade off. And the carriers had way more incentive to sign people up for high-speed broadband because they could charge more. So they got, they got lost in the transition from specialized end-to-end to sort of open access. Right. But IT departments for a long time were behind the curve on things like iPhones and Android phones because they loved having this network partially under their control, at least at the server end. And you know it was all knowns. There were very few unknowns with a BlackBerry. And, you know, the government and some law firms and others still today prefer it or think it's more secure. And maybe it is. I don't know. Right. I mean, there's <clears> still... Certainly a, it's certainly a smaller and smaller target. Well, there's that new one that's been being made by TCL, which, you know, their whole thing is we're going to sell this to enterprise markets and the government because people in the government love this thing. That's fine, right? I'm not and sure it, people in government do love it, but they have to use it. No, so. I mean, I I ride that as sell all the time, and people still have an iPhone and a BlackBerry, and they love that hardware keyboard. It's a thing, and I, I've never yeah, going to understand is. it. It is. Um, but it's interesting, right? There's still a market for these things, and you see them pop up all over the place. Here's a special tab. Remember the Peak? Oh, um, yeah, sure. Ages ago, there's a little thing called the Peak, which just did Twitter. I reviewed it or... or, or Katie Barrett, who worked with me, reviewed it. Yeah, um, the idea of a, a tiny little handheld device that just does Twitter in this day and age seems so terrible. <laughs> but at the time, it was very exciting, um, and you see these things. Uh, Snapchat put out Spectacles, right? That's a, a little appliance that just sends things to Snapchat. So you know the 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 
even though I think the smartphone has, you know, did the appliance uh, seven or eight years after I wrote that column. And remember, the, the whole computing business, the whole personal computing business, not computers, they go back a long way, but the personal computing business is 40 years old. That's yeah. it. I mean, as I point out in the column, it's younger than Starbucks, Disneyland, and the Super Bowl. I mean, it's crazy. It, it is crazy. Um, but the the primal urge to have an appliance doesn't apply to everybody. There's lots of people who really just like that idea, just like they just like, you know, sealed uh, laptops and phones and, you know, things that make it hard to hack. And just like car buffs don't like the way a lot of cars now make it hard to fool around with the engines and you know this is oh there's always a yin and yang there but you know the larger group of of users doesn't care what goes on under the hood of the car and they don't care what goes on under the hood of their device they just want it to work and and so uh you know it has better battery life it if it has waterproofing or something that's what they care about yeah so I want to, in a long and winding way, we have yep. arrived at, at the news. Because <laughs> uh, after all of this, what we've talked about on the show forever is what's going on with tablets. And Apple put out a new iPad. It's actually just called the iPad. It's $329, the cheapest iPad ever. It's a weird set of specs, in my opinion. Cheapest full-size Cheapest full-size iPad ever. Right. Um, the it, it's interesting because the mini, the remaining iPad mini 4, is actually more expensive than the bigger iPad now. Well, it has a better screen. It's yeah. true, right? So it, this is – it's a stra- It's sort of a, just a strange to me – I say the word strange. I don't mean that it's like blowing my mind strange. It's just – it doesn't seem like a traditional Apple move. They basically took the original iPad Air, its thickness, its size, its display, and they put in some slightly newer components. So it has a fingerprint sensor for Touch ID. It has a, a new back camera. It has some more memory. It has an A9 processor, which is faster. Um, but, you know, I think the thing that defines an iPad is its display, as I think Apple would tell you. Um, I think Johnny Ive has said it in a hundred videos. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it has a worse display than the iPad Air 2. And the iPad Air 2 is now gone. So if you want the good display, you got to buy the iPad Pro, which obviously is more expensive and comes with the super fast A10. It's like, you know, it's just a whole different kind of product. What do you think is going on there? Because if you if you think about this whole appliance conversation that we had, I can see why you'd buy a $329 iPad just to do email, right? That's it. It's just going to sit in the living room and I'm going to use it for email. But it's well, not nobody, a great idea. No, 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 no. I disagree with that. Yeah. Nobody's going to buy an iPad. $329 is you know, more money than a lot of people have. And so I don't want to be yeah. cavalier about it. but. In the realm of iPads, that's a very good price. Yeah. Nevertheless, you're not going to buy it and just do email because you're at the very least you're going to use it as a cons- as a media consumption device. Right. I said email to set up this disagreement, but there was a thing. There's another thing that I would say. And but- and web and whatever your favorite. You know, like if you use Slack at work, you'll put Slack on it. If you, uh, I don't know, whatever. So I, I said email, but what I really meant to say was Netflix, right? That you could just buy this thing and be like, I'm going to watch Netflix on it a bunch. And there are people who give their old iPads to their kids or whatever, and they just run Netflix Kids all day long on these things and maybe mm-hmm. some games, and that's all they do. And they're basically little appliances. And I think it's interesting that 
after all of this, this whole winding road, all these devices that we've talked about, and everything's kind of being subsumed, I, you know, I walked into a, 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 a place to get some lunch today, and the cash register was just an old iPad. It's just going to be an old iPad forever, and it runs one app. But it's you can see why does the job though right? does t- totally absolutely does the job does the job better than any dedicated cash register that you could buy today I'm sure um, we are in a new office here in New York um, our old office had these giant terrible Crestron touch displays to control the AV stuff and they were awful they were resistive touchscreens they were slow the new office. They just bought a bunch of low-end iPads and loaded the Crestron app on them. They run one app. No one's ever going to put Slack on these things. I don't yeah. think you can. They're locked down. But you can see as the as the the hardware gets cheaper, it becomes more and more tempting to take what is technically a general-purpose device and make it a single-purpose device. Yeah, because I would remind you, there's like 1.3 million iPad optimized apps in the App Store. Yeah. I mean, you could play games. You could play some, I mean, particularly with the beefed up processor in this, you could probably play some reasonably decent games on it. I'm going to start playing games on the, the conference room <laughs> restaurants. So when you look at this 329 iPad, like what do, you, what, do you, what do you think Apple's doing with this, this line? Well, assuming that the screen, the non-laminated screen isn't I'm sure it's ter- fine. I mean, the first terrible iPad Air to look was at, fine. but I'm sure it's not because I owned an iPad Air in the and the screen was was you know better than a lot of cheap tablets it was very very nice um i obviously i i've seen better ipad screens now but you know it was very good very very good i think they're trying to get more people into the more consumers it's not a it's obviously not part of their enterprise play with the high end pro of which they have two sizes now one of which mm-hmm. is exactly the same size as this uh, screen size. I mean, it's this is a tiny bit thicker and heavier, I think. Yeah. Tiny, tiny bit. Um, and uh, so it's not an enterprise thing. I think it's one more effort to see what they can do about consumers, uh, getting consumers who either don't have one or who have one and have not seen any reason to trade up to say, hey, this is like, if you still have an iPad two mm-hmm. or even an ipad air which this is basically is but it has upgraded components kind of like they did with the iphone se uh that was a little different because that was to trying to appeal to people that didn't want to let go of their smaller sized iphones uh, and i think it worked i mean i was talking to the manager of an apple store i don't know a month ago who said just i just asked her about the se at that particular store, which is now a fairly big store, and she said, oh, we can't keep them in stock. I mean, people just come in and they love this size, particularly women. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be sexist here, but this is just, I'm quoting this manager who also was a woman. And she said, well, you know, people love it. And in this same announcement, they beefed up one of the specs on that. So to me, I see it a little bit like that. I mean, they're, it's not, you know, they beefed up the specs a little on an, on an old thing, and they cut the price by not let's let's be clear. This is still Apple. They didn't cut the price by one hundred and fifty dollars. I think the cut they cut the price by seventy dollars mm-hmm. or something. It's not like half price, but three twenty nine looks cheap for an iPad. It doesn't look cheap for an Android tablet, right? 
but it looks cheap for an iPad. So the hope is they, I don't know if they'll do any marketing around this, but they could say, hey, is there, you can get an iPad. You get a million apps, as they always do. They'll show you all the different apps. I assume it takes all the latest iOS stuff and all the latest updates to iOS. and uh, Ever so slightly disagree, right? Because their current marketing campaign is around the Pro and right. how the Pro is better than a laptop. Yeah. And it's a, it, it, they're good ads. You know, they, they don't appeal to me, but I'm sure many people are frustrated with their laptops. Just as at the beginning of your column, uh, 18 years ago, you said many people are frustrated with their, their kludgy Windows boxes. I'm sure some people are frustrated with their, their existing Windows and Mac laptops. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good campaign, but it implies that you can you know, plug a keyboard into it and you can write on it and you can do all the stuff. And the apps are still there for this iPad. But it doesn't have those capabilities. And I think the question for me is, what capabilities do you market to get somebody with an original iPad Air to switch over? Because if the thing really is about the screen, all you can really offer them is it takes slightly better pictures and it's a little bit faster. And if all you're doing on this thing is running Netflix or watching Amazon videos or playing a handful of games, especially the 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 kids' games, they're, they're not taxing the processor. And, you know, like, there's, like, a whole thing there. I think if you have the iPad 2 or the even up to the iPad 4, which are the last of that old design, this thing might be compelling. Um, but it's it, the real question is, what is it supposed to do for you in a way that when we have well, traditionally I- talked about the iPad versus the laptop, you know, I know that you are very – hot on the idea that it will it can and should replace the laptop because it's better for people. No, 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 you're exaggerating. I think it can <laughs> it, it, there's a subtle difference. I think yeah. it can and not should but actually does for many people replace various scenarios for which you used a laptop. Yeah. I I don't think it totally replaces the laptop, even the Pro. But or the new Samsung one that we reviewed today or any of these but or the Surface uh, tablets. But I, I do think you can do productivity on it. And I would assume I haven't, I haven't used one of these. Well, I have used one of these, actually, but yeah. not, with the, not with the new... Not with the new uh, processor. The new stuff. But, I mean, I've used ones with faster processors. I mean, you can, um, you can do productivity things with it. You can, you know, it has a, it, it has a software keyboard. I am surprised they didn't put the keyboard connector on this thing. That, yeah. that that to me, maybe not the stylus support, you know, not the hot rod processor, but the keyboard, because you can still buy a Bluetooth keyboard and, and do it that way. And a lot yeah. of people do. And <clears throat> I, you reviewed one. Logitech makes a great one. I'm shocked they didn't just put the keyboard connector on it because that's not a great differentiator from the pro, right? No, like, but it's a cost. And yeah. and if, if, you're, if your primary purpose here is to get a price number that will look to people like it's more attractive, then uh, you don't want to add cost. You want to keep the costs down. I'm sure there was a debate about it. I bet I'd be amazed oh, yeah, if of course. there was a debate about it. But it's interesting. But you to- and I, I agree with you. I would have put the keyboard connector on. And I, and I, I, there's something else I would have done, which they never do at Apple, but I would have, I would have cut the margin even more and, and made it $299. I can't imagine that that would be a big deal for a company of Apple's size and the amount of revenue they take in every quarter and you know multiply by the number of these they would conceivably sell even if it did well uh i do i'd say this is 2.99 and 
and it, you can snap a keyboard on if you want. Yeah. You know? And that would then we'd be having a different conversation, I think. Yeah. So you know, but I still think it's a price move, and I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think that question of if I'm buying this thing just to just to have the kids watch Netflix, which is a use case that I hear about more and more and more and more, and because all of my friends are having kids. <laughs> um, no, it's true. I mean, if then, you're like, on any, why if wouldn't you're on... you buy the Amazon thing? It's way cheaper, and you know, it's a little bit disposable. I don't know. If you're if you're on a plane, you see a lot of. I think because it's, you know, you. I think you're hinting at the idea that it's just for the kids. I think. Well, a I, lot I, I'm of trying. To, families, I'm trying to stay focused on the appliance thing, right? If you're yeah, buying no, a no, tablet I, for one purpose, and that's the most popular purpose. Well, yeah, I think. I think with an appliance, it's not just one. It can be up to, you know, a three or something. And if you're using an iPad for whatever you're using it for occasionally but it's there to give i mean in, with my in my family i see this scenario where the parents use the ipad for certain things and then at certain moments they let the kid use it yeah and like on a plane uh, unless you're coming from certain airports in the middle east apparently but, um, <laughs> oh, i mean come on. i i you have to respect you know anything that stops terrorism, and uh, so, and we don't have the same information they do. So, it's conceivable that this will save a lot of lives. But one downside uh, that has to be acknowledged is there's going to be a lot more crying children on those planes. Or airlines are going to great new business of renting out Chromebooks and, uh, and tablets, uh, right? I mean, if if I was Emirates, I would stock that. Well, cart. if you're not allowed to have, oh, you mean, yeah, but. Would this allow the airline to give out tablets? Right, because they would be cleared, right? I mean, because mm. Really? You think the Trump Homeland Security <laughs> Department is going to well, I mean, trust got, the tablets cleared by the, you know, the if Emirates? I, if I was Emirates uh, and I had the, the power of, of, of the government behind me, and they certainly do, I would lobby hard to be like, okay, we're doing – airlines used to do this. They, they would have carts of, like, crappy laptops that you could rent <laughs> for the plane. Um, it, it, and I, and they there's some airlines in in first class that would give you a tablet at one time yeah yeah um, so I, I think that's a move and so the question there and I I just keep coming back to this it's the idea of the tablet is the final form of the appliance where you buy one it's great hardware it's a decent screen um, and you you know you can buy one you can buy a cheap one you can buy a cheap Android tablet for something like a hundred bucks 150 bucks now and you're just gonna run one app on it until that thing dies. I think that's actually really powerful, and I think that's a, that's a move that can be made in this industry, but no one really thinks about it that way. But I have to tell you, uh, and, and I've said this before, but I mean, I grabbed that I have an iPad Pro 9.7, and I have an iPad Mini 4, mm-hmm. and I have, I don't know, six or eight different laptops uh, around the house, and um, I like my laptops. They're not nearly... They're, they're nothing like the aggravation they used to be, and yeah. you know I like them, uh, but I'll I still find it quicker. Obviously, I grab the phone a lot, but I find it quicker for something, and and you know just just the bigger screen makes a difference to me than the phone screen uh, for a wide variety of things that a lot of which are productivity. Yeah, uh, and um, and 
but I also do, of course, all the consumption things. I watch YouTube or well, you know, so we um, whatever Dan Seifert reviewed uh, the new Tab S3 today, which is which is Samsung. the Samsung Samsung's iPad Pro. And you know, Dieter, we got to bring up Dieter. Uh, Dieter immediately tweeted Lincoln and said, "This is why I'm convinced that app that Google's next tablets will be Chrome OS with Android on top because Android can't do that stuff. It's not built to let you do the hardcore productivity." It's not built to let you do that. And it, it's the problem with the Tab S3. Um, yeah, it's a great piece of hardware. Although, Dan, I'm sorry, it wasn't Dan. It was Jake Kastrakis reviewed that today. It was Jake, yeah. My apologies. Uh, it's both of them. Uh, but it's interesting that Dieter sees the true productivity device as having that desktop browser as being more open, being more classic in that way. Right. And you're saying, you don't need that stuff. And I'm saying, maybe tablets should just run one app and you should never think about them and use a laptop. Yeah, so we're all in different places. Everyone's but. all over the damn <clears throat> app, man. But, there, <laughs> but, the, but the idea of the appliance uh, is powerful. And the next, like I say, the next thing that you could call an appliance, and I'm bring, trying to bring it back, is the Starship Enterprise thing. Yeah, you actually, we didn't quite get to it, but you have a column here from 2000, Yeah, uh, April 2000. Uh, another great headline. Pretty soon you'll be hearing, not reading, data from the internet. I could just pretty good for two thousand. Pretty huh? good for two thousand. <laughs> Here's an example, and you're describing a company called Tell Me. If you say stocks, the service invites you to reel off company names. For each one you speak, you get the quote in a very understandable voice. But Tell Me is deeper than that. If there's news about a company whose name you spoke, the service invites you to hear the short news story. You also get more detailed quote data for some of the companies. For movies, you say what city you're in, then what movie you want to see, and you get the names of local theaters and remaining showtimes, plus optional reviews and plot summaries. That sounds exactly like Alexa. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. that is Alexa. Here's the difference. In 2000, you had to call, you had to pick up your phone and call Tell Me to do this stuff. Right. Um, but they were already trying to build this next generation of sort of appliance-like behavior. They were. And they, it, it's uncanny how similar it is and I think this also shows you how primitive we are. I mean, this was super advanced for 2000. The fact that it sounds a lot like the Echo mm -hmm. or Cortana or Siri or Google Assistant, you know, or, you know, God knows what Bixby will be, but, you know, any <laughs> of these things. Um, the fact that it sounds like that shows you that, you know, we're really, really early days because we're not. Yes, you're not dialing a phone number. It's coming over IP, over Wi-Fi. But what it actually spits back to you, uh, what you what you do with it, is this very limited conversation for the most part of asking questions or having it perform simple tasks. And tell me could, could do that. It could directly connect you to – I'm reading from my own column from 2000. In some instances, tell me can even make a phone call for you. It can directly connect you to restaurants you're interested in or to airlines you want. It also has a feature called Phone Booth, which allows you to make a free two-minute long-distance call to any number you speak and then be returned to tell me. <laughs> so my, my point is those were very, you know, today's things can do more of these tasks. But how different is it than, I don't know, telling, uh, you know, the Echo to do open table and get you a restaurant reservation. Well, it's not as good, but it was kind of there. It was just yeah. move, moving right in there. It just was using the cellular voice network because we didn't have pervasive wireless broadband in 2000. Yeah, it's interesting how when you when you get rid of the limitations of these older networks and you just put everything on the broadband internet, um, th they open up in really interesting ways. And their conception 
was, I mean, I, I, I can't remember, but I think this might have been the first ever review of this Tell Me service. Now, I have to say, they this was a consumer service, obviously, and they dropped it. Uh, they got acquired by Microsoft eventually. The consumer service wasn't either profitable or interesting to Microsoft, and so gradually this technology went into you know those ridiculous phone menus that you use when you call I don't know a bank or a health insurance company or something. And the founders of the company went on to form uh, Flipboard, and you know they stayed at Microsoft for a little while, and then they left and eventually popped up again. Uh, at Flipboard, which is a very different business. But I can remember going to their headquarters, a classic startup thing, kind of a stealth thing in an industrial park somewhere in Palo Alto. And, yeah. you know, you know, they had bunk beds above, <laughs> above the desk where they slept. And, you know, it was, it was, they were, they were pretty ahead of their time, but they were building, I didn't use the term, but they were building um, an appliance here. Yeah. Uh, but it was a service, not a device. And that's the next thing. That's the that's the roots of the Starship Enterprise thing. Yeah, where you, um, ju- you just start talking, and the computers start helping you. I mean, I don't care if you hated Star Trek. The fact is, there's several major ideas. Some have been realized, like the StarTac phone, um, and some we're still working on. Zillions of dollars are being poured into it, like that computer on that ship. You know, yeah, it had a lot of influence. Man, we've been all over the place. We've tra- we've literally traveled through time. Well, we're episode. just geeking out, talking tech, you know. I love it, man. This these old columns, some of them are just they're they they're. I had a bunch of this stuff, you know. It's like a, it's amazing to think of how exciting it was now and how archaic it seems, or how exciting it was then, and how archaic it seems now. This stuff moves like you're saying. It's only forty years old, but we're moving. Well, you know what? Save save your echo, because I'm telling you. I mean, I think the timelines shorten on these things. In 10 years, that Echo is going to look, you know, and the ads for it are going to look like we look at the Apple II and the ads for the Apple II. Yeah. 1300 bucks, 4K of RAM, am I right about that? 15 colors. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Cassette recorder storage is my favorite of all. Cassette recorder storage. Well, they, they, they brought out disk drives after. They did. There was even like a, like a five years. megabyte hard drive that cost like $5,000. Yeah. Wild, wild times. Uh, okay, we have we've gone over actually. Somehow uh, we just we fell down the hole, but uh, that was a good one. But we there's other stuff to listen to. Dieter and I host the Vergecast. We're back from our adventures in Austin. We're recording that tomorrow. Comes out on Fridays. Uh, Lauren Good hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is wonderful. She also recorded an episode of that in Austin. You should listen to that. Uh, Peter Kafka, who I actually saw, he was said hello to Walt over the line just before he. We started, uh, records Recode Media, which is wonderful, uh, and Kara Swisher records Recode Decode. Kara actually got uh, uh, like a lifetime, lifetime achievement, achievement award. award from the South by Southwest people. I know. So she is she's riding high. But uh, she records Recode Decode, which is also great to listen to. So a bunch of stuff from the Virgin Recode to listen to now that we are done for the week. But we will be back next week. You can check us out. Uh, keep sending us your intros. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. I am at Reckless gotten some great ones lately keep sending them to us we love your feedback uh i would love your thoughts on tablets and appliances because i'm you know it's just a it's, it's it's a hazy idea for me but talking to everybody lets me figure that stuff out i know walt would love your feedback too and we will be back next week thanks a lot walt thanks a lot neil